Welcome to episode 37 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer-director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Nesrosa, joined, as always, by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on this edition of the show, we'll be talking about Lost, Season 2, Episodes 2 through 4. The first episode that we're going to take a look at today is the episode entitled Adrift. So Matt, what did you think of that episode? I really like this second episode. Finally, after that awesome premiere that focused on the island, the hatch, and Desmond being in the hatch, we get this episode that picks back up on the raft to see the aftermath of what happened after the others blew up the raft. So I love that we get to get right into that action finally, and we see that Michael and Walt are apart. So Michael is freaking out over the loss of his child. Him and Sawyer are floating on pieces of the blown up raft together. Jin has disappeared entirely. During this time, uh, Michael and Sawyer kind of bicker. Sawyer's injured. They're in the water, and they add one of my favorite things, which is... Da-na. Uh, a shark a shark comes by and throwing a shark into any situation automatically gets my interest right away as a lifelong jaws fanatic so i thought that was amazing and then the island stuff this is the episode where we go from zero to 60 on the dharma scale where we had never even heard the words or seen the full clear logo of the Dharma Initiative, and man, do they start ramping that stuff up big time. The thing that really resonated with me in this episode would be the flashbacks. Seeing Michael have to fight for Walt was just really, really interesting to me. The thing that I liked about that is that this episode sort of reaffirmed my hate for Michael's girlfriend because she, throughout the course of the episode, is really standoffish. Even when he has that horrible meeting with his girlfriend's lawyers, the one lawyer who basically puts Michael through the ringer basically asks Michael all these questions about Walt that he doesn't know. And through that, she shows that he isn't really prepared, you know, as far as being a father's concerned. And I just hate when you see stuff like that, because I don't really think that uh, Michael's ex's behavior is justified. I think that she just did that to be a bitch, basically. I mean, later on in the episode, the explanation that she gives as to why she did what she did really doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the explanation that she gives is basically, oh, I did this so you can follow your art, so you can get on your feet, and so you can have a life too. But that's ridiculous. Why can't he be a part of Walt's life, follow his art, and do whatever he wants to do? That's ridiculous. You know, her excuse is just to try and pull Walt away from Michael's life and take him to France. So I I really connected with that particular story plot just in the flashbacks. 100%. I think that they really paint Susan in an unflattering light throughout the episode she keeps putting on this nice demeanor as if she's doing this for the good of Michael and that she has Michael's best interest at heart but all of her actions speak the opposite which really drove me crazy that she's like no I'm doing this for you it's just sign away your rights to Walt give me everything I want don't question it and the thing that she uses as the weapon against him is you don't 
deserve to be his father because you don't know anything about him. But Michael is saying the reason I don't know anything about him is because you won't let me see him. So that can't be the whole argument. It's too late to ever get to know him when you were the one who has been withholding him from me. I like the actress who plays Susan, but that character really is manipulative and horrible. Like Everything she's doing, she's putting on such a fake facade to Michael pretending that it's for his best interest and all this stuff when really she's very selfish and not thinking about what would be best for Michael or for Walt. You know, she just has these ideas in her mind that Michael can never change and can never be a good father, but she's not even willing to entertain giving him a shot, which was really frustrating. And it did show why Michael is so frustrated, why his relationship with Walt is so strained. So I thought that was a nice intercut as we move from the current day raft to the flashbacks where Michael is just, you know, 100% thinking like, I got to find Walt, I got to find Walt. So that was really interesting and added a layer of depth to Michael, who is a character that can get annoying really quickly because they don't give him a lot of likability. So it was nice that this flashback helped add to that. Susan puts her faith in somebody who loves her but doesn't love her son. You know, when Susan passes away, as we already know, Brian basically calls Michael and says, here, take your kid. I don't want your kid. I wanted your girlfriend to Michael. And I just found it heartbreaking. The other thing that I enjoyed, like you, I really liked all these stuff with Sawyer and Michael. I thought that in this particular episode, it shows that Sawyer, although he still shows hints of being a racist prick he is becoming a better person this all this episode also illustrates that when the chips are down Sawyer will sacrifice himself for the people that he's with if they're in like a dire situation like they were in the last episode my favorite part was when Michael kicked Sawyer off the raft then all of a sudden you see sharks in the water and the only thing that I could think is like you're gonna need a bigger boat yeah but then I was like you don't have a boat so what the hell are you gonna do I thought this episode was very well put together. Also, the other thing that I enjoyed was everything in the hatch. I really, I really, really enjoyed basically everything in the hatch. Um, now, moving on to the next episode on our list for this week, Orientation. What did you think of that one, Matt? So I thought this one was another good one, especially in Adrift. One of my favorite parts was that we rewound to find out what happened in the hatch to Locke and to Kate from just a different perspective that we didn't see that we sort of skipped over. So in that we saw Kate find the pantry full of Dharma food and the Apollo candy bars. When we see Locke say that he is the guy, what did one snowman say to the other snowman? And he pretends to be that. So when we pick up in orientation and finally we're back to that Jack and Desmond recognizing each other and Desmond explaining if they don't enter this code into this computer, it's going to be the end of the world and the code is the numbers. I thought all of that was fascinating. And when Locke and Jack sit down and watch that film that explains the Dharma initiative, the Hanzo Foundation, the protocol of what to do at the Swan Station, which is the hatch. I loved all of that. That was so intriguing. It was so weird, especially where they're talking about the Dharma Initiative and the DeGroots. And I remember this was this and the last episode were where every time the episodes would end, I would jump onto 
message boards. I used to be a big member of a DVD message board, DVD talk, and everybody would flood onto the TV section to talk about Lost and post screenshots of the shark with a Dharma initiative logo on its skin. And this episode, frame by framing that orientation video. And I love that moment where Jack and Locke watch this video. And as soon as it's over, Locke's like, we're going to need to watch that again. And it's like, yeah. Even us, the audience, need to watch that again. We need to figure out what is happening here because this is where they really start to lay the mythology in. Everything involving the hatch is so cool. The Dharma stuff is so weird. And the flashbacks in this episode are a John Locke episode, which are among my favorite of the series. Anytime that's a Locke flashback, this guy's backstory is so interesting to see how he became the John Locke we know on the island. So I really enjoyed orientation, especially for the mythology that it brings to this episode. I love this episode for two parts. I love episodes that uh, center around John Locke. And I also love episodes that deal with the internal battle that Jack and Locke started having towards the end of uh, season one. And that internal battle is Jack is the man of science and Locke is the man of faith. Also in this episode, we sort of have a glimpse into how Locke became a man of faith when he actually meets a curious young lady in uh, group therapy by the name of Helen. Now, I was wondering, is that the same Helen as the Helen that he was calling on the phone before he got on the plane or was that like a different Helen? What did you think about that, Matt? So if I remember correctly, this is the first time that we're meeting the actual Helen. And in those other episodes, it was Locke phoning a phone party line where you pay $19.95 an hour to talk to some strange woman. And I think that he had told them to say that their name was Helen. So I feel like that's just him trying to work some stuff out in his mind because his relationship with this Helen goes so astray that he's trying to mentally work through it with some sex worker that he's just paid to pretend to be Helen. Okay, no, so I, but, but I, for just one second, I just thought that was the Helen from before, but clearly it wasn't. Also, a nice fun fact, this Helen is Gemma Teller or, or Katie Seagal. I thought seeing her in The Lost World because I completely forgot that she played a guest role in this episode and I thought that was great. Also, the thing that I loved that this episode did is it showed Locke's inability to let go of what his dickhole of a father did to him. You know, despite his father conning him into giving his kidney, Locke refuses to let his biological father off the hook. I mean, for God's sakes, he basically camps out at his house every day waiting for his father to accept him back into the house. And at one point, his asshole father comes out and he says, listen, I got from you what I needed and basically you're not wanted anymore. So I found that aspect of this episode to be really intriguing. It really hit me because with my biological mother, I went through something similar when I got older. You know, I, I sort of got into my teenage years and I wanted to find my biological mother and I wanted some answers as to why she did what she did and left me with my grandparents. I am happy to report that when I tracked her down, we did have a, a nicer relationship than the one that Locke had with his dad. But still, we, we decided to part our ways and go in different directions. The thing that I loved about this episode is the orientation video. 
like you said, Matt, during that orientation video, we understand that the Dharma Initiative is rickrolled by this interesting Japanese gentleman. He has an oil company in China. This Chinese gentleman will pop up in other areas of the bad robot universe and i just found that fascinating i really really enjoyed this episode i thought it was wonderful yeah it's so cool when they can do crossover mythology sort of stuff or plant some small seeds that pop up in other things some nice easter eggs that film that they watch is so awesome where they're giving us so much information dharma hanzo marvin candle all of this stuff and you're just taking it in and taking it in and trying to make sense of it but when you were talking about the lock flashbacks those were heartbreaking because we know that he's been through such an ordeal with his father and he meets Helen played by Katie Seagal who is wonderful she's very understanding exactly what John Locke needs to get his life back on track but he can't let it go he shows up in a car outside his father's house all the time even when his dad says I don't want to see you again I got what I needed from you get lost he can't let it go at all as the flashbacks build and build and we finally get that moment at the end where helen is saying to him like look this is it if you can't move past this then we can't move forward and Locke's like i don't know what else to do i don't know what else to do she says i need a leap of faith from you to understand that you have to just drop this and move forward with me, otherwise we can't have a future. And that's intercut with the scene in the hatch where Jack has come back and told him the correct number to enter into the computer because Locke was about to enter the wrong sequence. And Jack tells him, no, it's 42. Locke says, okay, we're in the final seconds of this countdown. Jack, I want you to hit the execute button. And Jack's saying, no, I'm not gonna do it, why? And he says, because I just need you to do this. I need to know you're on board with this and in those moments jack says why is it so easy for you to believe that this is real and that this is some fantasy thing that we have to do and when john says to him it's never been easy is one of those awesome moments and just the balance of that with the flashback adds such a layer to Locke that yes he is a man of faith but he wasn't always and sometimes it is a struggle to keep that attitude but Locke is willing to do the work and especially because all of the gifts that he thinks the island has given him make it that much easier. But that was really powerful. And there's nothing more intense than when those numbers start getting to like the low numbers and the siren, you know, noises going in the hatch. That stuff is super intense. And I loved the stuff. I, I loved it, but I hate it. The stuff with Michael and Sawyer and Jin who have now met up with some people that we think are the others at first and they are held captive in a pit all of a sudden a woman is tossed in the pit with them and it's anna lucia who we met in the finale of season one and as that scene plays out we find out that she was actually a plant and that she is with this group and she was just trying to get information on who these guys were and they find out they are passengers of 815 and these also are passengers of 815. So we kind of realize in this moment that maybe these are people who can be trusted, but also not quite because there's some weird stuff going on. But it was interesting to me that when Anna Lucia is introduced in the finale, she was funny, sweet, kind of seductive. And in this episode, because of her deception, she's almost instantly unlikable, which was a bold choice 
and would continue to develop in the rest of this batch of episodes as we get to know more about her. They really went from that extreme of fun flirty to like tough, no-nonsense, kind of obnoxious. Can I just say one thing before we move on to the final episode that we're going to cover this week? And I will only say this. Anna Lucille sucks ass. <laughs> she is such a pain in the ass. God, I hate that woman. It's funny because when she popped up, she was flirty, she was likable, but I think I really understand why a lot of people who watched Lost when it initially aired didn't really like Anna Lucille. And I think I get it now, and I just, I really, really don't like that woman. What she does later on really doesn't help her cause in my books. With that being said, with that negativity out of the way, the last episode that we're going to cover today is an episode entitled Everybody Hates Ugo. What do you think of uh, that one, Matt? Marcelo Hates Anna Lucia is not the title of the episode. Everybody Hates Hugo. And I've mentioned last time when we had the first Hurley backstory episode that I loved it. And this is another great one. So I do think that Hurley's flashbacks are among the most interesting because they have moments that are super relatable but also because he won the lottery, it's such a wish fulfillment, yet we know that everything that happens after he cashes that ticket is horrible. So when we see him hanging out with his friend, it's like a countdown to misery is kind of ticking in the background. And in this episode, Hurley knows that something is off. So even when he has won the lotto and his mother is giving him a hard time about being a lazy, overweight, but he's not jumping for joy when he wins the lottery because... Even though it's a moment that everybody dreams of, there's some ominous cloud over it that he just knows that something is not right about this. But seeing him sort of check off a few of these things before he goes from normal Hurley to multi-millionaire Hurley was a lot of fun and really fascinating where he's hanging out with his buddy played by DJ Qualls from Road Trip and one of my favorite movies, Hustle and Flow. And they're working at the chicken joint and Hurley quits. And I love that moment. So satisfying. And his buddy comes with him and he said, well, I quit too, man, because I'm not working here. If you're not working here, we're best buds. What's the point of that? And they go to the record shop. Hurley asks out the girl that he likes. And he keeps saying, I had to do this before before so he knows his life is going to change we already know that it's going to change for the worse because that money is going to bring so much drama with it but it's strange that he has that ominous feel as well did you get that sense as we're watching the flashbacks here yes i absolutely did the thing that i love about uh, several flashbacks that they have done uh, within law so far within the first two seasons if, if i just could they have a habit of introducing a specific moment in a specific flashback and then dropping it, never mentioning it again, and then bringing it back in another episode that's connected to that first original flashback. And they did that in this episode where Hurley passes out after he realizes that he won the lotto and basically his mother comes running in and basically slaps him across the face and wakes him up. And she basically demeans him. And she says, you got to get on with your life. You got to stop working. You know, all you do is work, watch TV and eat chicken. Got to stop doing that. And I love the fact that his mother berated him. But in that beration that she gave him, she can still see on her face that she actually cares. I really, really enjoyed that because that's the typical Spanish mother. I could definitely relate to that thing. The other thing that I enjoyed about this episode is like you said, Matt, watching Hurley be really hesitant 
of letting the entire world know that he won the lotto is just fantastic. Harley knows that there is something wrong with these numbers because the guy who gave him the numbers is basically now in a mental institution. So it would be logical that he would be so nervous about, you know, claiming his prize. But I particularly like the scene where him and his friend are basically driving. They're towards the end of their day of having fun. And his friend basically goes, okay, so, you know, this place is hiring, this place is hiring, and this place is hiring. And the only thing that Hurley says is, no matter what happens, promise me that this is going to stay the same. When his friend finds out that he won the lotto. The look that his friend gives him is such a look of betrayal. It was like, dude, you didn't tell me that you won the lotto? How, how could you wait this long to tell me that you won the lotto? So I really, really loved the fact that this flashback really gave us a look into how Hurley was feeling the moment when he won the lotto and the days after that. Yeah, I thought that was great. And especially that look that Johnny gives him when he finds out just after having promised that nothing will ever change and literally in that one look everything has changed and won't be the same with that heavy drama and like sad melancholy aspects there still are lots of funny parts in the flashbacks that are still the signature of a good hurley episode i love when they're flipping through the two dollar sale bin at the record store and they see drive shaft and they mention you all everybody they're like no more like suck shaft this band's the worst and when they grab all the garden gnomes to write cluck you on the front lawn of randy the chicken joint managers that was awesome but all of this is juxtaposed with hurley getting the task of inventorying the pantry in the hatch with all of the food and supplies and they tell him it's going to be his responsibility to figure out what they're going to do with this food how they can divvy it up who can sign it out who can get what and then he's not allowed to just tell everyone and share everything like he has to be the one in charge and he does not want this responsibility at all. It's not what he asked for. And the reason he doesn't want it is because he knows that everyone will look at him different just as Johnny looked at him different after that moment in the parking lot of the convenience store. So I thought that was really interesting. It's nice that Rose got more to do in this episode as Hurley brings her into the hatch, explains everything to her, and she's the one who finds Hurley when he's at his most desperate. She kind of talks him down off the ledge as it were they figure out what to do instead which works out nice and that of course reminds us rose talks about her husband bernard and the candy bar and as we switch to the across the island and we find out these are not the others these are the survivors of the tail section of the plane eventually as they let michael Jin, and sawyer out of the pit they take them to their camp, which is actually another Dharma station, the Arrow. We meet the survivors there. Now, they told us 23 people survived. When they get there, there's only a handful. And one of the people they meet is an old man who says, was there an African-American woman in her 50s with you guys? And they said, yeah, there is a lady named Rose. And he goes, oh, my God, that's amazing. I'm Bernard. And that's the end of that episode. And I just thought that was such a great ending because every time we've seen Rose in the small capacity where she's popped up 
in other episodes, she's always talking about Bernard. She always has faith that he is not dead, that he's still out there. Even when they're trying to get us to feel sorry for her because we think that he's dead. This was a nice validation of all of her positive viewpoints, even when she had no reason to be positive. And it was so cool that, okay, these are the tailies. These are the people that also went through this, but they had a totally different experience. And meeting Bernard and seeing this other Dharma station just adds so much more intrigue and was so cool that I thought that was an awesome way to end this episode. The last thing that I will say before we wrap up uh, this week's episode is that I really like the fact that after Jack put Hurley in charge of divvying up the food and giving it to uh, our losties, that he takes a particular can of peanut butter to Charlie and Claire. And you actually see the scene where Charlie presents the jar of peanut butter to Claire. And that moment is so nice and so sweet. And it's just just a really nice moment on top of a really interesting and a really fun episode that was Everybody Hates Hugo. All right, guys. So with that being said, I think that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. If you guys want to reach out to us and send us questions, uh, you guys can do that by just uh, using the hashtag on Twitter, Radio 815, if we ever get any questions on there about anything uh, we'll read them on the show or we'll give you a shout out but if you guys want to reach me and talk to me uh, you can also reach me on twitter i'm at creekfanatic88 but matt if the good folks at home want to speak to you what would be the best place for them to reach you the best spot is on twitter at matt crandall all right guys so with that being said uh that'll do it for this week but until next week as always we'll talk back soon (laughs) 